The future of health coaching. Opportunity, action, impact. Brought to you by Teleosis Institute, coaching and narrative healing. Hi, I'm Reggie Mara, creative director at Teleosis Institute. And on behalf of Dr. Joel Kreisberg and myself, I'd like to welcome you to this month's edition of the future of health coaching online, in which we'll be exploring under the covers, capitalism, conscious healing, and masculinity with my very special guest, Kent Frazier. Um, a quick disclaimer, I've known Kent since 2011. We're actually colleagues. We've worked together. Um, and so um, the introduction, which I'm going to give you now, is going to be uh, grounded in my knowledge of him. If necessary, if he demands I read the one he sent me, I'll, I'll actually uh, do that. But um, Kent is a gifted uh, singer, songwriter, and musician who was uh, an, an HR executive in multi-billion dollar uh, companies uh, prior to 2011. He was doing really well um, professionally and financially, and yet he felt something was missing. So in 2011, he quit his job um, and took two years to study with Integral Coaching Canada. Um, upon completing that um, course of study, uh, he went back into the corporate world where the company um, entitled LRW, um, with a whole different view of uh, his, his work, himself, his music, um, and life in general. And interestingly, uh, in uh, the most, or his most recent uh, change in perspective has convinced him to leave LRW and move out in the world in an increasingly different way so he can better bring his gifts, um, not just to the corporate world, um, but to his family, to his friends, his colleagues, um, to the world of music. And um, I just can't tell you how happy I'm, I am to be speaking with Kent today, uh, again, in, in this, this wonderfully titled topic that he coined under the covers, Capitalism, Conscious Healing, and Masculinity, which is just grounded in his own experience. So Kent, what I'd love for you to do um, to um, just get us started here, <clears throat> and I'll both you know, apologize for that wonderfully erratic introduction, and also you know, I'll accept your thanks because it was probably one of the best ones ever. <laughs> um, what I'd love for you to do is unpack a little bit um, the meaning of under the covers for you, because I know that that's really a, a significant part of, uh, of what you're choosing to do now. And it was really part of how you began moving forward some years ago, recognizing that you were in, in some ways under the covers. Yeah. Well, um, thank you for that glowing introduction. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really excited to be here with you. Um, I love our relationship and how it's grown over the years. And one of the things I really love most about it ties to your question that you asked and this notion of under the covers and what does that mean? And in its simplest form, under the covers to me means um, having the courage to kind of peek inside and what's going on inside me right now that can inform me in some way, shape or form uh, so that I can continue to move ahead and evolve as a human being as a father, as a husband, as a friend, as a, as a leader, as an executive, um, and, and better serve myself and better serve others. So it's really, you know, I, I think about our history, Reg, and the conversations we've had about life and love and work and money and health and all kinds of stuff that isn't your normal 
uh, everyday chit chat, so to speak, right. but really the, the intimacy and the, and the, and the wealth and, and well-being that can come from having a deep, intimate conversation, getting under the covers and, and attending to what's really coming up. Yeah, so, so thanks for that. And uh, so I want to just um, tie it back in, I mean, to so a place I want to go in this conversation, but not yet, but I want you to speak to um, the idea of, as a musician, of that move from, in fact, let, let, me, let me ask the question this way. Let me ask the question um, with a quote from you. <laughs> so this is again in, in your words, and I'm gonna read this one because I don't have it. You know, I, though I memorize almost everything that you say, I don't have this one memorized. Um, so my life as a musician playing other people's music, my life as a leader evangelizing other people's material, and my life in general, wanting and needing the applause and approval of others to feel like I am enough, no longer sounded good to me and needed to be set free. So the idea of covering other people's music or other people's leadership theories or concepts or whatever, um, speak to that a little bit. Yeah, uh, thanks. So as a, as a younger musician, um, I really wanted to demonstrate my proficiency and competence as a musician by playing other people's compositions as closely to the way they originally presented them. And then by me imitating other people really well, then I would maybe uh, receive the same adoration and <clears throat> um, praise, if you will. And it was, it was an easy way for me to hide. Um, I wasn't uh, being vulnerable. I wasn't sharing my own thoughts, my own fears. Um, and I could essentially cover up and hide um, behind other people's music. I could hide behind other people's uh, thoughts or theories in a, in a work perspective, never really revealing what I might think um, for fear of being wrong, for fear of being made fun of, for pe fear of people not liking me. And so um, this move was really kind of an emancipatory move in that I was able to, it, that just, I, I felt fake, I felt phony. Um, you know, I, I had been moving through life, through school, through work, based on expectations that had been put upon me by others. I'm not saying this in a, in a critical or judgmental way, but you know, part of how we grow is um, by through instruction from our parents, from our teachers, from our elders in society, from our bosses. And so it's part of the learning and education process, but the move I had failed to make up until that point was actually um, synthesizing all this information and arriving at maybe um, my own way to articulate that, my own way to be in that conversation, to be in that inquiry and to put forward what I, what I really feel about or think about a particular topic. And so this is really uh, about that and finding the courage to take more of an inside out move and offer my perspective simply as that um, on whatever the topic might be and not feel like I have to hide underneath the cover of someone else's perspective on a particular topic. Yeah, beautiful. I mean, I just, I love the, <clears throat> both the way you um, articulated that and just the, um, 
just the authenticity. And again, I get to say that because I, I, I do know you personally, that that's coming through there. So what I'd love for you to do, um, and in no particular order, in a, in a way that makes sense to you, um, is begin to unpack the, the subtitles of, of what we're talking about. So the title again was under the covers, and then it goes in this order, capitalism, conscious healing, and masculinity. Because I think it's really important um, for, for what we're doing at Teleosis with narrative healing, um, and for our conversation as two men, uh, and you know, by, by no means are we uh, excluding women from the conversation of capitalism and conscious healing, but because of the history of, of, of men and leadership in the corporate world, um, and, and um, how that continues to play out today, uh, the tie in with conscious healing and masculinity in a capitalist uh, system is, is, I think, really important uh, in 2017. So yeah. there's an opening for you to jump in there in whatever way you want. Yeah, thanks, Reg. Um, yeah, so maybe if we take a, a step back and, and think about um, the rise of capitalism and uh, why this is important is it really has become that the economic engine that has powered, you know, the modernity, if you will, and, and capitalism can arguably be seen as one of the most powerful systems of human cooperation ever brought into being it's 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 taken millions of people out of poverty it's um enhanced and extended the quality of of our lives through technological and medical advancements um and and so it's done many wonderful things for the evolution of the human species and simultaneously along the way it has adopted uh, a mindset, a way of being, if you will, it, to maximize the the financial component of the various stakeholders that are involved in a capitalistic system. And anytime in any system you're looking to maximize one particular dimension of that system, you're automatically diminishing some other parts of that system. So the system in and of itself um, becomes less healthy because it's it's got this kind of uh, out of balance, out of harmony drive to move in one direction. You know, if you think about if you think about cancer, right? It's it's just this, this uncontrolled growth and in, in replication of cells in this one way that ultimately growth is good. Typically, we think growth is good in business. We think growth is good as, as humans, but in a in a cancer situation, it's unhealthy growth, and it actually ends up consuming the host. So. Um, if you look at the state of capitalism today, if you look at uh, while we have done well financially, if you look at the human toll that that's taken, whether you're pointing to um, the, the levels of engagement or how much people find meaning in their work or care about their work, the Gallup organization um, suggests that 70 plus percent of our US workforce today is not engaged and not connected in connect, connected to in a meaningful way the work that they're doing and so one could argue or question um, if one doesn't 
find how they're spending the majority of their time every day meaningful, purposeful, they're not engaged in it, that that would be leading towards some uh, unhealthy state with stress, with anxiety, with depression. Uh, and, and so people start to reach out for other means to find comfort. And that can look like overeating, that can look like drugs and alcohol, that can look like over shopping, that can look like sex addiction, you know, any way to, to find some way to stimulate oneself. So I think, uh, you know, there's so many people, we have to work to, to earn a living, but so many people are in, in this capitalistic system where they are doing what their parents told them to do or what their teachers told them to do or what society's telling them to do. And they're left. Uh, and this is what happened to me and why I checked out of corporate America for a little bit is I found myself having ascended the corporate hierarchy, so to speak, and I wasn't happy. I wasn't healthy. And so that was a conscious decision to, to check that like, okay, so I've got money, I've got title, I've got influence in organizations yet I'm depressed. I have high anxiety. I'm drinking too much. I'm womanizing too much. Um, so, so something's off. So this was, so moving into this conscious healing topic, um, how can I intentionally take steps to, to move towards greater states of health? And when I look at the major aspects of my life and work was, was one of those things. So um, as I came back into the work world after my two-year um, tour through Integral Coaching Canada and learning how adults and humans continue to evolve and continue to change, my mission became one of how do I really create thriving, healthy human organizations where people don't have to leave their soul in the car or leave their emotions in the car or leave that soft, squishy side of themselves um, at home because we're just here to work and we're just here to get shit done. And that's what ties into this masculinity piece, I think, is you know, and to, to drive the industrial or the modern age. You know, people had to be agentic. People needed to move and, and uh, make shit happen. Yeah. And even the females in the, in the workplace, you know, would adopt masculine type traits. And what we've seen then is just this epidemic of unhealthy work conditions, people working 60, 70 hours a week, burning out. Um, it, uh, it's destructive to family systems um, and just not healthy, not sustainable. So uh, that's where I think this conversation really needs to come out from under the covers as people start to look at um, the parts of society, the parts of capitalism that um, while at one point in time served us really well, um, that maybe aren't doing so anymore. And we need to be a little bit more kind to ourselves, a little bit more kind to one another and recognize that the way we spend the majority of our working hours at this thing we call work every day needs to have a little bit more love and compassion and empathy and nurturing associated with it um, so that people can really thrive. Yeah. So, so thanks for that. Thanks for the, you know, kind of giving, providing that historical perspective as well with regard to, modernity and, 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 and the capitalist system. So a, a, a question that comes up for me, and it's really, and there is no right answer to it, but I'm just really curious um, to hear your take on it. When we speak about conscious healing, um, what does, and let's, let's just let's do this in two tiers perhaps. One is personally for you, 
and the other is you know kind of an, an extrapolation outward um, for you know what might look like for capitalism or for a culture at large. But how do you hold the the idea of, of healing? What does that mean? Yeah. To you? Yeah. Um, maybe five, six years ago, as I was in this inquiry, I was in my sabbatical from work and going through the program one night during a yoga meditation session. Uh, the word disease uh, came to me. And as you and I like to do, kind of breaking down the history and the meaning of the word. And if you think about disease, you can break it down and say, well, it's a state of dis-ease. So I'm not in a state of ease or relaxation. And so the way I started playing with it was, oh, um, maybe disease can be prevented or said differently. Maybe I can heal by inviting increasing amounts of relaxation into the way I experience myself and others from moment to moment. And is that dis-ease or lack of ease dissipates um, might the healing process be invoked um, and I and I can continue to move towards greater and greater sustained states of relaxation and comfort with what is and have less dis-ease or less discomfort not to say that it's going to go away but how do I move with it and move through it and that's the lens and the story and so narrative healing um, or conscious healing like how am I how am I viewing that which is coming up to me right now? Am I at ease with what's um, I'm facing right now or is it creating some kind of dis-ease? And if so, what's my thought pattern associated with it? What's my narrative associated with it? How do I talk about what's happening? How do I act with respect to what's happening? And I think if we can take a much more um, healing approach versus identifying our sense of self and personalities with this diseased state, we can maybe more effectively move through it um, and just realize that it's all impermanent. And this is just the stage that I'm, that I'm getting through to whatever wants to evolve next. So, so I was going to go back to something you said and just to, to get really clear on it. Um, and it, and it's my own bias is going to come through with it, with this. So it's actually not a, completely authentic question. <laughs> um, so my experience of healing is that, you know, at its simplest, it's a, it's a shift in perspective. It's coming, I mean, you talked about being with what is, and I like the idea of healing as coming to terms with things as they are. So it's a different way of saying the same thing. Um, and let's just keep this really gender specific for now. Let's keep it capitalist conscious healing, masculine specific. So what would you say to a man who's doing really, really well in a capitalist system, who's taking care of his family, who's you know, working his 70 hours a week, who's making a lot of money, who's saving some of it, who's a good guy working hard, um, who just says, well, I don't need to heal. You know, I'm doing what I want to do. You know, let's, I'm okay. Yeah. Great question. In fact, one of my coaching clients right now is um, kind of fits that category up until or that description up until a point where um, an incredibly successful um, athlete, an incredibly successful business person, uh, a successful husband, a new father, and um, his way of approaching work 
and his role in that was, you know, doing the 70 hours a week and, and carrying it all mm -hmm. on his shoulders. It was all up to him. It was all his responsibility mm -hmm. to do everything, to get everything right. You know, typical type A, um, just drive stuff to completion. And that works well and good. And he's done incredibly well until he started um, fearing that he was having a heart attack at 35 years old. Um, and he's going to urgent care um, because his levels of anxiety and sleep deprivation and unhealthy eating practices and unhealthy sleeping practices um, eventually take a toll and the body just begins to send uh, louder and louder alarms that this way of being is no longer sustainable. So um, th those wake up calls, if you haven't, if you're a, if you're a hard driving successful business person and, and you're starting to notice some of the symptoms of fatigue, some of the symptoms of anxiety, some of the symptoms of stress, weight gain, sleep deprivation, unhealthy mood states. Um, th those are all little alarm bells that might be, alerting you to uh, wake up, to pay attention to, my, there might be another way. Um, plus it's not scalable. As life becomes more complex, as you take on larger roles in life, multiple kids, a bigger role in a growing organization, you know, that, that way of approaching things where it's all up to you. Um, it doesn't scale and is not sustainable and eventually you will hit a wall. Yeah, and, and I, when I, I appreciate that. I like the, the specific example and, and, and I have a, you know, my, in my own history, I remember reading probably 30 or 35 years ago. Um, I think the, the name of the book was um, Love, Medicine, and Miracles, or Love, Laughter, and Medicine. I forget what it was, but it was um, this, the surgeon from Yale University, whose name I should remember. It will come to me. And I, I just lost it now. But he and his wife were working with cancer patients and, and doing some really great work. And coming up with these different practices and shifts in perspective about how to engage the cancer. I remember reading the book and saying to myself, well, that, that stuff sounds really good. Uh, Bernie Siegel is the author's name, Dr. Bernie Siegel. Um, why wait until I have cancer or some disease to engage some of these practices in, in a way that serves me as a moderately healthy 30-something-year-old, which I was at the time? So. It, so to bring it back to what you said, it sounds as though, not that you're saying, you know, wait long enough, this will happen to you, because that's, that's not your message. You know, you're, not, you're definitely having a heart attack. But why not? Because we know this now. We know something about adult development. We know something about health and healing. Why not engage in healthy practices? In fact, what we at Teleosis call a salutogenic approach to living as opposed to pathogenic which means wait around for something bad to happen and then fix it why not take care of yourself you know on this continuum of ease and disease on a regular basis so it sounds like that's what you're pointing to as opposed to waiting for um something to slap yeah, yeah for sure yeah. for sure and um so so this under the covers theme really is is inviting one to again like dare to peek under the covers and and get honest get real with how i'm feeling um 
to what extent am I vibrant? Am I healthy? Am I thriving? Um, and what are the habits? What are the practices that I'm in? What are my routines that are either contributing towards me moving towards a direction of health and ease and well-being and thriving? Or what are my patterns and practices and habits that are actually contributing to dis-ease um, and, a, and a disintegrated level of health? And, and so once we, once we can identify and start recognizing these patterns, we can use um, the greatest enemy of habit as our ally and start intentionally and consciously creating patterns and habits that actually invite healing, that invite ease, that invite relaxation, that invite um, the abundance that's already right there versus running around in this kind of scarcity mindset that's driving some unhealthy or pathology in, in the way I'm experiencing myself in my life. Yeah, and I love, I, thank you for that. I love the, your use of the word invite. So invite this into my life. That's a, it's a, I think a really important um, bit of language. So here's, I, I want to just shift slightly here. I th I th thank you for addressing that more personal individual look at healing. Um, what might healing, and I can't help, so, you know, I've seen, you're sitting in front of this poster, which I've seen before, because I know this was part of a, a presentation that you and president or CEO at LLW did together, and it was, it was video that I did see it. So part of the answer to the question I'm about to ask is like in this wonderful poster behind you, but to speak to it more directly, what might, because one way or another, the, our capitalist society, especially, but not only in this country, in the United States, but not only here, obviously, um, even if we don't work within it, you know, in, in a corporation, if we're, you know, whether we're educators or nurses or plumbers or whatever, it impacts us. Mm -hmm. um, so, so what might this conscious healing approach look like or begin to manifest as in a company, in a corporation? Yeah. What, what would be some of the traits of that? And again, th that question isn't new for us because there is a, something called conscious capitalism out there and we know a little bit about that. But could you sp speak to that from, a, from an organizational standpoint? Yeah, for sure. Um, so thank you for bringing up conscious capitalism. It's an organization that I've been uh, very active in over the last five, six years and helping start a San Francisco chapter. And when I moved to Los Angeles three years ago, founded the co-founded the Los Angeles chapter. And the whole notion around conscious capitalism is, can we use the power of capitalism to actually elevate humanity? Um, rather than having a view or having a story that the purpose of capitalism is to maximize shareholder return, which has been largely the, the, the widest shared um, perspective that people have had around why businesses exist to drive profitability and shareholder return. Um, and that's partially true, um, but conscious capitalism invites us to understand, well, what might be the reason you exist, your purpose or your reason for being that goes beyond financial gain and what's the unique differentiated difference that you hope to make in the world? What's the unique contribution to humanity, to the well-being and thriving of people <clears throat> that you hope to use your business to make a contribution towards? And in that, you then are invited to look at, well, who are all the stakeholders? Who matters? 
who are, who are the people in my ecosystem that are interdependent, um, that my, my way of being in my business um, also impacts the degree of well-being throughout my whole stakeholder ecosystem. So it's a shift in perspective from profit maximization to um, stakeholder or ecosystem optimization. And as I look at the wake that I have as a leader, if I look at the wake that my business has across that whole system and set of stakeholders, um, am I intentionally doing well and helping people thrive and move along in their own evolution in a, in a way that serves them and serves others? Or am I kind of taking advantage and being a little bit predatory, almost kind of back like the cancer metaphor I was offering earlier, um, just looking for my own growth at the expense of the host or at the expense of the other people around me. So conscious capitalism and, and businesses are really in this, in the throes of uh, how do we get organized around a higher purpose that is serving humanity, not just today, but also considering the consequences of our actions today to future generations. As we look at this expectation of infinite growth, infinite financial growth. Well, we, we exist on a planet that, as far as we know, has finite resources. So at some point in time, uh, the math doesn't add up. So we have to begin to consider the environment and the life-giving resources of our planet that contribute to healthy and lives and, and well-being. They, they have to become an important stakeholder. In fact, I was talking with a buddy of mine the other day who's involved in a project in New Zealand um, where they, they actually um, granted a river a board seat. And that river has a voice and is a stakeholder in all of their meetings. And, and they make sure that someone in any one of their meetings is speaking on behalf of the river and what would contribute to the river's well-being and the role that it plays in the economy and the ecosystem of that particular culture. And I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So could you just tease apart two words you use and actually you use them really clearly, but I wanna make sure that anyone who is, you know, maybe new to this idea of, of conscious healing, especially from a, in, in a capitalist system as, as we're speaking about it, could you just differentiate the idea of, you know, the traditional idea of shareholders in a corporate situation as opposed to stakeholders as you're using it with reference to conscious capitalism? Yeah, uh, there's a great book out there that actually um, speaks quite eloquently about this. It's called Firms of Endearment. And it was written by Raj Sisodia, who's one of the co-founders of conscious capitalism. <clears throat> and um, a shareholder is one of the stakeholders um, in a capitalistic system. So they, in, in the book, Firms of Endearment, Raj and his co-authors offer uh, an acronym for how we might think about stakeholders. And the acronym is SPICE. And the S stands for society. The P stands for your partners or your vendors would, would be another name um, that people think about partners. The I stands for your investor or the traditional shareholder um, perspective. The C is your customer, and the E is your employee. And then sometimes we add another E on to include the environment. And sometimes the environment can be wrapped up into the S if you think about society. Hmm. But shareholder is one stakeholder in an interdependent and interconnected ecosystem of 
all these different pieces and parts that actually come together to make a business thrive or not. Okay, great. Are, yeah, we, so are we engaging in a way that's helping that whole stakeholder ecosystem thrive versus just maximizing my part of that ecosystem yeah. at the expense of others? Yeah. Great. So, so thank you for that. So would it be fair then to say that a move towards conscious capitalism or a more conscious iteration of capitalism is one in which um, the perspective that we're only in this to maximize profits for our investors or shareholders is gradually healed in a way that includes um, a broader spectrum of, of stakeholders, of yeah. which the shareholders are one part. For sure. And um, paradoxically, uh, the research in this book shows um, they did a 10-year, they looked at longitudinal financial performance of companies that actually have a very clearly articulated purpose that transcends a profit motive um, and engage in this stakeholder relationship model. Mm -hmm. How do they perform financially versus companies that are in business to maximize profitability? And the research was actually quite astonishing in that um, those companies, those firms of endearment mm -hmm. that, endear that endear themselves to their customers, to their employees, to their investors, to their partners, outperformed the S&P 500 eight to one in shareholder return over a 10-year period. And they outperformed Jim Collins' good to great um, companies three to one. Um, and Jim Collins' companies were selected, the great companies, solely on their financial, their superior financial performance. So here we have data that's suggesting um, if you focus on a higher purpose of doing well by people and helping people heal or helping people move towards a greater state of well-being, you actually also financially perform better than if you're just trying to maximize your financial gain. Yeah, so it's a, I mean, it's a cliche. I, I almost, as a, as a poet and a, and the coach, I almost choke on these words, but it's a kind of a win, 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 win. That's right. Which is ideally, I mean, as much as I'm joking about choking on those words, it's ideally what we would love to have in all of our professional and personal relationships that everybody is okay. And my success uh, or my happiness um, doesn't take away from yours. We can both be successful and happy and uh, fulfilled. Uh, you know, together. So it's, it's kind of cool. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Like I, I love the metaphor of, of even a, a candle lighting another candle, you know, the, the candle that has the flame going isn't diminished by sharing its fire with another candle. Mm -hmm. um, so so um, can we shift our mindset from, from what am I getting? What am I in, business to get for myself to what am I, how can I share my light? How can I share what I'm passionate or on fire about um, with others in a way that's going to help them burn their own light um, and thrive themselves. And, and so that also tying that back to this under the covers is really understanding what it is, what is the spark of my own aliveness from this inside out perspective what are my natural gifts? What are my natural curiosities? What are my natural talents? And how do I get real enough to tap into those and then make a commitment to spend 
the majority of my waking hours at this thing I call work, doing something that, that I love, mm-hmm. that I'm naturally interested in, naturally curious about, um, and share that in a way with others that not only brings me joy and, and happiness and fulfillment because I'm doing what I love, but I get to now share that infectiously with other people um, in a way that hopefully helps them move in that direction as well. Yeah, so, so beautiful. And, and I want to go, I don't know if it's full circle, but it's definitely, it's definitely not a, a, a rectangle. <laughs> But it's, I have, it's definitely a circular shape. So going back to something you began with um, about whose story is this? Who, whose song am I singing? Whose leadership concepts am I evangelizing? Um, I, I think it's, it's very, very important to, to remember. Well, this is actually, let me, let me back up a step. I believe this is very important to remember. It's my belief system. Um, that we're all given stories when we're young. We're given stories, but if we're lucky enough to have two healthy parents that, that love us, you know, we're, getting, we're given stories by, by them. Our own experience of them when we're young uh, complements what they say to us by how we are with them. And then we get stories from our teachers, as you said, and, and our friends and our friends' families. Um, and it's really easy, I think, to get caught up in a very, very positive, uh, kind, even compassionate story that's given to us, but that's not actually ours. Mm. I can be living this wonderful story and get to a point where just saying, wow, it is wonderful. I'm not hurting anybody. I'm doing okay, but it's, it's not mine. And that's really where you began with Under the Covers. Oops, you, know, you were successful, making some money, making good money. Um, had professional respect and you weren't happy. So what I'd like to do, and we're, we, have, we have some time to unpack this a bit, because and you and I both know each other enough to know that we've both done this at various times in our respective lives. What does it take for a man, for a man or a woman, you know, how do we go about recognizing if this particular story that I'm living especially if it's positive, if it's negative and we're out there hurting people, it's kind of easy to get to the point, you know, people are telling us you got to stop doing that. But if you're doing okay and people are, people are receiving some benefit, how do you get to that point where you suddenly can see, um, wow, this is a good story, but it's not mine. And I'm kind of worried now that I might risk ending this particular story or changing it in a way so I can get to the core of my story. So I, somewhere in there, there was a question. It's all yours. <laughs> Thank you. And I think my answer is yes. <laughs> as long as it wasn't 42, we're good. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. What's coming up for me as you pose that is, um, it sounds like you're asking, what, what is it that I'm attuning myself to? What am I paying attention? What am I cued into that's um, informing the degree to which I'm thriving or not? And um, that, that requires us to really pay attention. And, and again, um, cast our view inwards in understanding 
how um, how we're feeling. So I want to I want to move to like the way we assess um, success or okayness in in many many ways and in many lives. And certainly, what I was doing was externalized. You know, what's my paycheck? What's my title? What's my house like? What's my car like? What's my relational status like? Um, and as long as all those boxes were checked, um, I was thriving until I realized that uh, it was hard for me to get out from under the covers every morning and go to work. I noticed as I was waking up, I didn't want to jump out of bed. I wanted to stay hidden under the covers. So there was this growing sense of what is this all about? What am I really up to? Uh, does it matter? And if so, to whom? Hmm. Uh, and that 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 inquiry and noticing that it invited a lot of curiosity. Um, and so as I as I noticed, I had all these stories or these narratives about what success was. Yeah. And, and what meant that I was thriving, um, the, the invitation to check that and to say, is this really true? Or is this just the story I'm telling myself and what's actually happening? Oh gosh, I'm actually not feeling good getting out of bed every day. Um, and why is that? Oh, because I'm not excited about the conversations I'm going to be in. I don't really, I'm not connected to what the company's mission really is. Or um, I was out last night getting drunk all night to numb the pain of my day that I wanted to just drown away because of the insanity that I was perceiving in the way I was going about my work. And this is nothing to do about the companies that I was working for. The, the companies I was working for were great, reputable, respectful companies. This was all my internal dialogue, my narrative about who I was in the world and who I needed to be in order to be happy and enough and fulfilled and all that kind of stuff. And and as you and I talked about earlier, um, that song, that story was no longer really serving me and um, I needed to find a new tune to carry. Yeah, yeah. So I, I love that you mentioned, you, know, you actually used the um, getting out from under the covers literally when that gets more difficult, and I agree with that, when that's difficult in the morning to actually slide out from under the covers in a very literal way, um, it's time to get really curious. So I love the way you, you, you couched that. Um, so in order to, to continue to keep this really grounded and, um, and be completely honest about it, so how, and, and I, you know, this is a kind of a, a loaded question because I, I know the answer from my own personal perspective. But, but that's never stopped me from asking a question before. Um, so imagine re recognizing I'm not singing my own song and I'm having a hard time getting out from under the covers in the morning and I need to find my authentic voice and my authentic vision and my real, my, my true story. Um, and as assuming that I, I believe that that's possible, that can be very exciting and energizing. Um, how easy is it? 
like you said, you know the answer to that question. Mm-hmm. As we both know as coaches and coaches of coaches, um, growth and comfort are not bedfellows. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so stepping into that discomfort and, and the, the uh, unease that, that comes along with um, growing and evolving, that, that's part of the recipe. So um, it's hard, yeah. it takes courage, it, it takes uh, re- really this just deep curiosity to get real with oneself. And um, David White speaks about it as um, in his in his writing on the word crisis in his book Consolations. You know, crisis is unavoidable. Mm-hmm. It's the inevitable recognition of one's own deepest flaws and accepting those as also part of us yeah. um, and and getting real. Um, and honoring and accepting those flaws without trying to pretend that they're not there. Um, and once we do that, again, paradoxically, those, those flaws no longer have us, and we're more skillful at being able to accept both our flaws and our gifts and can be more intentional about our, our view of things, our view of ourselves, our view of others, the way we think about one another, the way we speak towards one another, the way we act towards one another. So it's all really, I I just, this sentence of just about getting real, about getting under the covers is what this really means to me. And it starts with uh, the courage to look inside one's own story. Yeah, so you, you, great. And in that response and the previous response and possibly earlier in our conversation, but I can't say that for sure, um, the word curiosity continues to um, stick its little head up yeah. from its hole. Um, say, say a little bit more about the uh, how important, I mean, and, and, and even unpack, because we all kind of know what it means to be curious, and, and we were you know, perhaps raised that um, it can kill the cat. Um, <laughs> but can you say a little bit more about the, the essential role of curiosity if we're if we're really serious about consciously healing yeah so um probably the most well-known uh teacher in this space in byron katie and the work that she teaches Mm -hmm. as you notice you are um authoring narratives about what is for yourself or a situation, a feeling, a person, the first question that she offers is, is that true? (laughs) (laughs) Which to me, and then it's like, and are you really sure without a shadow of doubt that that's true? So to me, that, that is curiosity at its purest form is the story that I'm telling myself about this person, this situation, um, is it really true? And how do I know it's true? Um, and so when we can get to that level of inquiry, um, maybe we get a, a greater glimpse of truth versus the story we're telling ourselves to stay safe, to stay comfortable, um, 
to stay on the sidelines, what's really important. Um, and we avoid that, that um, acknowledgement or that step that again, paradoxically is going to be that place that we find our relief and we find our healing. Yeah. It's, um, I'm just reminded as you say that, 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 that fear of, you know, what if I really am good at something and I'm really called to do it. It was the Mary, Marianne Williamson quote, which I won't be able to quote, but basically, you know, it's not that we're afraid of not being good enough. We're afraid that we actually might be that good and great. And what, how might that change my life if I step fully into, you know, my gifts, you know, you know during this yeah. particular iteration. So, yeah. Yeah. So uh, uh, a brief story on that, a personal story, um, that relates to the under the covers and my own narrative about who I am and what I'm capable of doing or not. When I was in college, I was playing cover songs, other people's music at bars. It was a way for me to meet women and a way for me to get free drinks and have a social life and get the adoration of, of friends and people. And um, I made a declaration at that point in time that I never want to be the broke musician. Mm -hmm. um, so, the surest way for me to never be the broke musician is to just keep playing songs that everyone already likes <laughs> <laughs> and that everyone already knows um, and not dare risk um, offering a perspective that I have or music that I have. So I stayed comfortably hidden under the covers of other people's music. During the time when I was on my sabbatical and going through my integral coaching um, experience, um, when I was living in the Bay Area, you had the opportunity to come visit me. Um, I had run out of money. I had gone into debt. Um, my wife and I were newly married and living in a 700 square foot one bedroom apartment. And wouldn't you know, um, music starts coming through me. My own, I start using music differently rather than practicing music as a way, listening to other people's music and trying to emulate and imitate them as a demonstration of my proficiency as a musician, I start using my instrument differently. I change the way I play, I change, and I just start playing curiously with what sounds can I make? What thoughts do I have? And all of a sudden songs started organizing themselves mm. that were mine. That was my own voice, that were my own questions, that was my own way in this, to navigate this conversation about who am I? Um, what is my life about? Um, what is love? What is death? What is work? Um, and music then became my, my vehicle to explore my own stories and narratives to get under the covers and get real with myself. And uh, as I came to LA and got a job again, because I needed to attend to those survival needs, I met a Grammy and Emmy nominated musician, a gentleman named Peter Himmelman through conscious capitalism because he now uses music and songwriting as a way for people to find their voice and tap into their own creativity. He's, he's a, he's got a book out called let me out, which is a great book and very practical tips and tricks for people to tap into their own inner voice and heal and overcome fear and find their own creativity. I shared with him as we got to know one another that I'd been a musician my whole life, mainly playing other people's songs. And he asked me if I had any recordings of my own music and I, sheepishly said yes but they're really crappy they're on my iphone there's no good quality recording and he invited me to to send them to him and i resisted and he persisted and i resisted and then he used some language that i won't repeat here but it 
it was uh, calling out my masculinity and like, you know, grow a pair essentially and send me your music. Um, so I did. And to my surprise, he thought it was okay. <laughs> Fear of my own um, talent, so to speak. And he invited me to his studio, which is what created this project, this record project, which has become Under the Covers. And last summer, I recorded a six song EP with him called Under the Covers, which is my uh, journey through this healing process of standing in my own um, abilities and gifts as a musician, as a songwriter, as a storyteller, and finding the courage to tap into my own questions and then come out from under the covers and offer this for other people through music in a way that they might hear my songs and it might initiate their own inquiry as to what's lying deep under the covers within their own story. Yeah, that's, that's a beautiful story. I, I appreciate your sharing that. And, and it's, I'm assuming, and I'm assuming, I mean, it's no accident that, you know, your phrase is under the covers and the title of his book is what is it? Get it out. Did I get the, Let me out. Let me out. Okay. So there's, there's an escape in both the situations there from what's not, you know, mind into what is mine. So that, um, the, the language is consistent. So that, that's actually wonderful. And I actually have heard um, those songs and, um, and I still like you. No, just kidding. <laughs> Not really. I mean, Kent is actually a really gifted um, singer and songwriter. He really is. So I didn't. I didn't know that when I first met him. So, so actually, I'm so I'm speaking to the audience here momentarily. Now I'll speak back to you. I was referring to you in third, third person there. I apologize, Mr. Frazier. <laughs> What I'd like to do is begin to bring this to a close. We're not going to run away right now. Um, so I, I, I always, I tend to, to end these conversations with what I consider the, from my standpoint, as I'm the idiot in this, um, with the idiot's question. So is there anything, one last view or perspective or idea or concept or belief that you would like to leave the tens of millions of people who will be <laughs> and, and to this and watching it, um, uh, you know, before we bring it to a close. You know, yeah, then, thanks. Yeah. Thanks for that. Um, yeah, what's coming up for me is I, I recently um, evolved my relationship with a, a friend and collaborator of mine, um, uh, a, a gentleman named Josh Dykstra. Um, Josh and I met years ago as he was a uh, co-founder of a movement called work revolution and he's the author of a great book um igniting the invisible tribe creating work that doesn't suck kind of attending to this this earlier epidemic that i was speaking to with 70 percent of our population not engaged and not connected to what where they spend the majority of their waking hours at this thing called work so Josh is the CEO of a company called StrengthScope, and they have an assessment. They have exclusive um, rights, if you will, in the United States to offer this assessment to individuals and organizations. And what the assessment helps people better understand is what energizes them and what drains them or what makes them feel strong, feel vibrant, versus what a lot of other assessments um, help people understand is what I'm good at. And we put forth the notion that um, in order to be thriving, in order to be healthy and continuing to evolve into healthier and healthier states, understanding both what you love and what brings you 
the sense of feeling strong and feeling energized and um, doing what you're good at. If you bring those two things together and you can spend the majority of your time engaged in things that you intrinsically love and are motivated by and what you're good at, you're going to be thriving or have a much greater likelihood of thriving. So I recently joined Josh's organization as their chief evolutionary officer, as I work with them to continue to help evolve their business model so that they can better serve the evolution of individuals and organizations as we continue to look under the covers and understand not just what I'm good at, because I'm sure we can all think about things that we're good at, that if we never had to do again, we would be ecstatic about, but things that we're good at that drain us, that make us feel uneasy. Um, what if we could find another way, another lens to put on that task? It's not to say we can just stop doing stuff that we don't like, but tying this back to narrative healing, I know from my work with this strength scope assessment over the years that um, if I'm asked to participate or, or do some work that requires a great deal of detail orientation, if I'm looking at it through this lens of detail orientation, I procrastinate, I get all anxious and worried and tense and, and um, bad things happen. I feel crappy. Um, that's not to say I don't have to do detailed work because a lot of the work that I do requires very specific attention to details when I'm working with other people on behalf of their healing and behalf of their own growth and evolution. So what this instrument has helped me do is what's the new lens I can put on this so that I'm not looking at this request through a demotivating or draining lens of detail orientation but I also have learned that one of my greatest energizers is um, developing others so now if if I am asked to to do some really detailed work if I intentionally consciously put the lens of oh this is my opportunity to give my natural gifts and my nat and being my natural energizer of helping to develop another human being along their own evolutionary developmental path. Um, now I've got all kinds of resourceful energy. I can be really attuned to specific details and subtleties that had I been looking at it through a detailed orientation lens and a negative lens, I would have been uh, distracted and missed it because I would have been busy complaining <laughs> and worrying about, well, I gotta do something detailed, this sucks. So um, tying this all together is as we become more aware of our states and our emotions and our stories and we understand ourselves better and what makes us feel strong and any change we're looking to bring about in ourselves or in an organization takes energy. So can I give myself the best opportunity to be at my best and have a story, have a narrative and have a lens about what I'm up to right now that's making me feel strong? Um, and giving me my best chance to be at my best. Not to say I'm always going to be successful, but at least it gives me a fighting chance to, to tap into some resourceful energy to fulfill upon what I'm committed to. Yeah, tell, tell the most energizing story you can and, uh, and fully engage. Beautiful. Yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, okay. and thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk about my new project with Josh and StrengthScope yeah. as Chief Evolutionary Officer and Really, like I, I give myself that title in my life, um, again, tying this all together, is my interest as a human being um, is to continue to evolve myself towards greater um, sustained states of health and well-being and vitality and being in service of others in that same spirit, 
whether it's becoming a better husband, a better father for my kids, a better friend for my friends, a better coworker and collaborator for my colleagues. Um, how do we all just continue to evolve and bring about healing and um, thriving ways of being and consciously choose to be in that frame of mind? Yeah, and congratulations on that, on that work oh, thank you. with Scope as well. Um, so, so with that, I want to just go. Um, I want to just go back to um, something I didn't say in the introduction, which I want to make sure I say now. Uh, so, um, so Kent actually is out in Los Angeles, California, where he is geographically, where he lives with his wonderful wife Christine, their daughter Delilah, um, their next child, who is is still being warmed up in the oven. Three and a half weeks to go. Yeah, and um, and they're, they're two, they're, they're two labs, uh, Harley and Boo, both of whom I've met. Um, <laughs> so I, I just, we've been speaking about uh, under the covers, um, capitalism, conscious healing, and masculinity. And I'm just so pleased uh, to have had this conversation with you, Kent. And for those of you listening, again, I've been speaking with Kent Frazier. And um, thank you for, for watching this, for, for listening to it, if you're listening to it on the, on the podcast. And uh, this is Reggie Mara, again, Creative Director at Teleosis Institute. Um, and thank you for tuning in to our most recent edition of the Future of Health Coaching Online. Thanks, Reg. You're welcome, Kent. Take care of yourself. Good to see you, bud. All right, bye-bye.